the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot of information that we Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome back to We Get Real AF, everyone. I'm Vanessa Alava. And I'm Sue Robinson. Please remember to like, comment, and subscribe to the show. Today on WeGraph, we're talking about jobs of the future and why more young women don't pursue technology careers. Our guest is a former professional basketball player who believes we can take a lesson from the world of sports and use teamwork to answer that question. Sue Harnett is the founder of Rewriting the Code, which is helping young women around the world close the technology gender gap starting in college. And Vanessa and I are honored to have her on the show with us today. Welcome, Sue. Yes, welcome. Oh, thanks. It's exciting to be here. Very, thanks for a very nice introduction. So glad to have you. So um, we want to jump right in and start with where we stand today. If you can give us a sense of what the gender gap is in technology and what's going on inside of our universities. It's huge. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrible problem. Um, I think if you look across the entire pipeline of women in technology, uh, there is a really big problem at the college level that I think a lot of people just aren't aware of. So just to back up a minute, there are amazing nonprofits that are helping women, girls uh, in K through 12. And they are exposing uh, these young girls to STEM, to computer science, to coding. And I think they're starting to really um, impact these girls and show them what's really possible. But then something happens when you transition as a young woman uh, to college and you decide you're going to take that first introductory class in computer science. And you now start to feel uncomfortable because the guys in your class are kind of all in 24 seven tech guys. Um, after class, they're either working on a startup business or they're gaming. They're just kind of all in and you start to question it. And then maybe you take your second class and you see that some of the women have dropped out. And now you're starting to really question yourself even more. And the professor at the front of the room is a male and you don't really have a ton of mentors that look like you. And next thing you know, women are deciding, you know what, this probably is not for me. And what's happening is that for the past 15 years, college women represent less than 20% of the computer science graduates. So that kind of gives you a lay of the land of what's happening in college. And that's really why we launched Rewriting the Code. I don't know if you have the statistic, but young women who go into college saying, I'm going to major in computer science and then drop out. What's that attrition rate look like? Yeah, that's a great question. I wish there was better data on this, but somewhere between 40 and 45% of the introductory courses are taken by women, which is really indicating that a lot of that great work in K through 12 is really starting to pay off. Right. But then I think there's also an assumption that the colleges are taking care of these women. 
that everyone knows it's been a problem for over 15 years now. And I think uh, computer science is at a really interesting inflection point. So it has become the number one or number two major at almost every college in the country. Um, The class sizes have increased like crazy. The number of computer science professors teaching those classes has not kept up. So everyone's stressed out. The computer science professors have um, classes that are way too large. The students would rather be in smaller classes. There's a lot of TAs. So it's incredibly popular. And from a percentage perspective, the uh, overall men and women is increasing, but women continue to represent just a fraction of those graduates. And in a world where we need way more women involved, particularly in tech, where they're developing products and services that are supposed to represent the world and the users. And uh, that really doesn't happen when you don't have diversity. So it's it's a really challenging problem. You mentioned there are a lot more male professors in this sector. Do we have male professors that are actually saying no? If, if somebody's potentially considering dropping a class or getting out of it, say, hey, hold on a second, reconsider, we need you. Yeah, I wish that was the case. And it's in the, it's definitely the case with a percentage of those professors. Um, but, you know, they're really there to teach the students. I think there are certainly professors at every university that care deeply about this topic, but not all of them do. I had a computer science chairman tell me that the house is on fire that there are so many students that want to go into computer science and he's dealing with his faculty and he's trying to recruit. And it was almost as though if the women drop out, uh, that's unfortunate, but it's not, he didn't view it was his role to really intervene, which was a very, very sad um, response, I thought. Uh, But again, there are a lot of professors that really care and they can't, get to their students and interact with them the same way that they used to when they had office hours and things like that. So those uh, professors have become our allies and they're trying to do their best on behalf of their students. It's just, they don't have the bandwidth. So it sounds like we need um, actually a lot more female professors as well, right? In computer science specifically. Yes, absolutely. And the challenge there, Sue, is that oftentimes the professors, whether they be men or women, are going to industry because they could probably double or triple their salary because the skills that they have, especially if you're able to teach at a collegiate level, are so valuable um, that it's it's really a conundrum. Um, we have uh, teachers that are, are very, very passionate uh, for their students and um, supporting them. But uh, I'm not 100% sure how we're going to get out of this mess from the university side. But the way we've structured our company is we are a direct-to-student model. The way that women typically find out about rewriting the code is either through their professors or what's happened over the course of the past three and a half years is that the students start to share uh, rewriting the code with their networks. And these college networks are unbelievable. So uh, as of today, I uh, looked this morning, we are officially at 8,000 women in our community. That's amazing. That's awesome. Kudos to you. And you tell us a little bit about rewriting the code and, you know, how you started it, why you started it, when you started it. Just give us sure. a little bit of background and then, you know, what you've accomplished in the time that you've been around. Yeah, Absolutely. 
it really, my exposure personally to this uh, challenge was introduced to me through a consulting uh, assignment that I had done at Duke. So I was asked to be part of a team who would be engaged by the computer science and engineering schools to try and understand, specifically at Duke, why were so many women walking away from this major? And spent about six months talking with students, those who stayed in the major, those who left the major, professors, anybody who would stand still. And essentially what my takeaway was with this Um, there's lots of factors, but at the end of the day, I think it really comes down to community. So if you don't have your people around you, then a lot of the challenges that you face, whether it be imposter syndrome, starting to doubt yourself, losing your confidence, implicit bias, become very, very hard to deal with by yourself. And, um, interestingly, you mentioned my sports background, When I came to Duke as a student athlete, uh, fish out of water doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of how I felt um, from a socioeconomic perspective, from an academic perspective. And then I started to question myself even athletically. And what really resonated with me and gave me an enormous amount of strength were this incredible uh, group of 12 women who were my instant family, my basketball team. And I don't, if we can all think back to when we were freshmen, sophomores in college and how much we looked up to juniors and seniors, that made all the difference in the world. So when you had someone who was like you, tell you, you can do things that you start to question whether or not you can do, it's incredibly powerful. So from that experience in doing this consulting project um, and with the encouragement of a couple of the faculty members, they said, you know, this is a national issue. This is not something that's specific to one individual school. Um, Started doing my research and very easily and quickly confirmed that that indeed was the case. I had just sold uh, a business that I had started and was really trying to focus Um, I guess at this point in my life on something that was really meaningful and really impactful. So that's really how it came to be. Purpose driven uh, passion projects are always, I think so special because you're, you're in it for more than just, you know, this, the face value of it, you know, like there's, there's deeper roots there. So I totally understand that. Absolutely. And, and I love the idea, and, and this is why we mentioned it in the intro, about taking that lesson from the sports world, which is having a team or having your tribe. Absolutely. And it gives you great life skills. I think that there's a few components to it that I've gotten to watch through the, through the growth of this community that have been really beautiful to watch. And I think what's interesting, particularly this age group, you know, anytime you're sort of in those transition moments, so you've gone from living at home and having a really intimate day-to-day support structure to being more on your own and you're in college and you're a young woman now. Um, I think oftentimes uh, there is a tendency to not necessarily want to be vulnerable and authentic with your feelings because you think you're the only one in the world that feels that way. And when you can get a group of any individuals really together that care about the same type of thing and they feel safe, then they can be vulnerable. 
and they can be authentic. And then all of a sudden, you know, eyes widen and it becomes, oh my gosh, you feel that way too. And that's where the real support comes from. And um, failure is okay. And expectations and all the different things that college women, men are feeling really get to be addressed in a very cool community. Well, you brought something up that was really, uh, that resonated with me about looking up to even the juniors and seniors when you're in college. And I think that's in general in life, looking up to people that have like a little more wisdom, a little more experience that can like shed light on that. And I think vulnerability and, and allowing yourself to actually speak up comes with that experience and wisdom. So when you see someone or hear someone who's a little older, a little more experienced than you, actually sharing their true feelings, you're like, oh my gosh, like, to your point, you you feel that way too? Like, this isn't just me? You know, mm-hmm. you, you automatically connect on that, you know, deeper level. For sure. And, and that gets into mentorship. So we really think about mentorship in two ways, to your point, Vanessa. The most valuable, if you ask the students, are the peer mentors. What I also love about working with this age group is they're a pretty candid group. And what they have said, (laughs) what they've said about, you know, very experienced professionals is that it's inspiring, but they're so far removed from their world that from a day-to-day perspective, I mean, 25 years from now, maybe I'm in the C-suite, but what I want to know is what it's really like to work inside of Morgan Stanley um, after you've been out of college for a year and a half. So that we find is, is the most meaningful type of mentorship that we offer. Walk us through all the different things that your program can offer them. And I know we've talked about a little bit mentorship and, and a community, but like Let's take a deeper dive on on what Rewriting the Code does for young women. Yeah, that's a really great question, Sue. So our programming is 12 months a year because the women are going through all different types of challenges throughout a year. And the students need enormous amount of help in the late summer and, and fall because they are trying to figure out where do I apply for these internships? What types of full-time jobs are even possible with this major? And the good news to that is that if you think about it at the highest level, every company is a tech company, which is really great news, but it's also overwhelming news. So the way that we are really starting to educate and encourage the women to explore what's possible is to organize the world into industries. And you can look at the healthcare industry, you could look at big tech, you could look at education, you could look at food and fashion. Everyone has tech needs. So what we try and encourage the students is to explore those areas where their passion for tech crosses a personal passion that they have as well. And we do, we on the other side of our business, we're constantly trying to uh, create partnerships with tech companies so that we really can become a bridge between the college students and those tech companies and get them exposed to each other, get the tech companies recruiting these students as early as their freshman year in college. Because if a freshman or a sophomore who might be doubting their major gets to be inspired by a female engineer who works at Facebook, who can talk about the incredible um, challenges that she's trying to address through her skill set, maybe that'll inspire her to stay. 
So we do that a lot through the fall. Um, We support the women in preparing for um, behavioral interviews, preparing for technical interviews, making sure that resume is perfect, the LinkedIn profile. So those are the tangible types of things that we do. Um, We're always doing education. So exposing the students to engineers, exposing the students to all different types of companies. And then in the spring, we change gears a bit and we really try and provide the students exposure to all the skills that they really need as they're going into these workplace setting opportunities to be successful. Because a lot of times they haven't been on a team and they don't know how to create a relationship with their manager or their coworkers or really anything. What a special environment. It sounds so nurturing and so safe for people who are, you know, even if you're timid, it just seems like it would be like a instant family, like, come in, we're going to show you the ropes. You're going to be okay. It's okay to stumble. It's okay. We're going to be here to pick you up and you're going to be better for it in the end. But also you said something that is so smart. Every company is a tech company. And if you can find, to your point, something that aligns with another passion of yours, with tech, I mean, that's a really great bridge and the great great marriage there of two, two powerful things. We hear a lot from our students that the goal, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, you know, you could go on and on with those, those big co- companies. And I think there's a few reasons for that. One is they're users of those products. So they're really comfortable with them. And you admire all the incredible things that these companies do. Their parents know these brand names. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if I've had students call me in tears saying, you know, I'd really love to be at this startup, but I also have uh, an offer from one of these big tech companies, you know, I, I want to go with the startup, but my parents think I'm absolutely crazy. And so it, it gets really complicated, but uh, all of the students who are in our program are overachievers and, you know, they go to good schools, they work really hard. And the next rung on the ladder is one of these big names. And we're constantly trying to fight that because um, not to say that they shouldn't consider those companies, but that can't be your only, uh, you know, if you're, you're a failure if you don't secure one of those internships or jobs. So we, we deal with that a lot. Well, and at one point, those large big tech companies were startups. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you never That's know opportunity there, what yeah. that next, you know, if that small startup is going to be the next whatever, whatever we're talking about, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. So absolutely. And I could see that being tough. And obviously on the parental side, like, you know, you want the best for your child. So obviously you hear a big name, you're like, oh, and then it, it, there's a generational gap there too. It's like, benefits, good salary, you know, it's going to, you're going to be taken care of. And I think that this next generation thinks about things a little differently. And they're like, well, wait, there might be a little more reward if there's, you know, a greater risk at the front end and I'm young now. So why not take the risk now as opposed to when I'm older? So it's a, it's a balancing act for sure. Yeah. It's the first time I've ever seen a company do a bring your parents to work day. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Google, Google has done that. Hey everybody, Sam McLean here from InPhase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, inphase.biz. Thanks for listening. 
so we talked about rewriting the code and how you kind of started there, but I would love to learn more about your, your personal background. Obviously you mentioned um, being an athlete and that being a big part of your life, but when did it kind of, when did tech kind of start creeping in? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So I, I uh, grew up on Staten Island in New York. I came to Duke. I uh, had an incredible experience and majored in economics and got a master's in healthcare administration. And that's where I started my career. Um, and uh, I loved healthcare, but I got to a point about eight years in that I said, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And I always wanted to start a company. And I started a sports e-commerce and technology company and had so much fun working with our developers. And uh, they were men. I didn't really think about it too much at the time. And I think uh, probably about five years ago was when uh, we saw nationally the Me Too movement started. And just a lot of issues that were coming out of Silicon Valley in general around the very, very low number of women on boards and taking steps to start to address that. And then you would start to hear about uh, the difference in compensation between men and women. And then this project entered my life and uh, I really, really love college students. Uh, oh, have always had college students as interns in the companies that I had the opportunity to work with and just thought that that group was at such an impactful period in their life. So I've seen young women and men uh, either have really great opportunities for impact and people rallying around them and kind of telling them the world's their oyster. And I've seen the opposite as well. And I guess what got to me when I was interviewing these students was to see someone walking away from something that they loved because of issues that I felt were addressable. If they told me that they couldn't figure out, uh, you know, their tech classes, there wouldn't have been much that I could do about that. But um, it, you know, it just happened to be tech. Um, there's unfortunately a ton of industries that don't have really great female representation. But I was really drawn to this community. They're so incredibly bright and passionate. That's awesome. That really is. One piece that we haven't touched on yet, which is... Um, very, very important to me that we've spent an enormous amount of time on this past year are our Black and Latina students. So if you start at women in tech, it's a little ridiculous that the entire gender of women is considered an underrepresented minority. I mean, just think about that. Mm -hmm. That is ridiculous. And then when you get to Black women in tech, Latina women in tech, the numbers are horrible. Like at Microsoft and all these big tech companies that, that hire so many people, um, less than 3% of their technologists are black or Latina. I mean, the numbers are, are horrible. And about this time last year, as we were growing so much, we wanted to make sure that we weren't just talking to women, college women in tech, but we wanted to understand the communities that made up our overall community. And I spent a lot of time with our, our black students and I pushed them and said, you know, are you getting everything out of this community that you need? And um, the answer ultimately was no. 
we need to have mentors that look like us. We need to hear the stories of success. And what's really uh, fascinating about the Black and Latina populations is that traditionally companies go to the same 25 schools over and over again. They all recruit from the same top schools. And uh, women, um, intersectional groups that we're talking about, um, go to hundreds, thousands of colleges across this country, and they don't get seen. And when you dive into the profiles of the colleges, a lot of the colleges may have two black students that are women in computer science or three or four. So they're never able to create a a substantive community at the local level. So what we're doing is we're aggregating these women in particular to come together at a national level because the numbers just don't work otherwise. So today we launched Black Wings, which is our community for our black women in tech, uh, last September with 275 women. And today we have 815. And those 815 come from over 300 colleges across the country. That's wonderful. I think that's such a key point, you know, that you've got to create a pipeline. And then these tech companies have to broaden their reach to different universities if they're really going to take advantage of that pipeline. Because if you're only going to recruit from certain top universities and you're automatically limiting the pool of talent that you'll even be able to investigate. What kind of reception are you getting from technology companies to what you're doing? Are they open? Are they welcoming of it? Are they having an aha moment about, gosh, this is something we really, really need? What's the reception there? They're starting to. I think one of the things that's interesting about our company is we're a bit of a disruptive model. And I love disruptive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you talk Maybe. to someone that's been doing the same thing in the same way uh, for years and years and years, it's hard to get them to change. But, and I say this in the most careful way, from a business model perspective, COVID has challenged that quite a bit in our favor. Because, you know, I would talk to a company and say, listen, like, it's very expensive to recruit school by school by school. We have women from 450 schools across the U.S. and Canada. If you can't connect with someone Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, from one of these places. So um, one of the amazing things that we pulled off this summer was, and I think I may have talked to you right before this, was a virtual career summit. We asked our students over the course of the summer, you know, how can we really support you? And the number one thing they asked for was connecting with companies because they didn't know how else they were going to do it. Schools weren't going to be a possibility. National conferences were now going to come virtual. Nobody knew what that was going to look like. So we worked pretty hard and um, we had 31 companies participate and over 2,000 students. It was two days. The first day was completely devoted to our uh, Black and Latina populations because it, it is so important that we do something specifically with these populations. And to be frank, the companies fall into two buckets. Either they genuinely care or they better care. And, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if there's an opportunity under either scenario than if it could get a woman into a company that maybe she wouldn't have gotten exposed to prior to this, then let's do it. 
Um, so that was an incredible experience. And then the following day was for all the rest of our students. So it was a really great opportunity for the students and the companies to connect, get to know each other. And already there are jobs that are uh, coming out of that. I'd be really interested uh, to hear your thoughts about jobs of the future. I mean, we've talked about the importance of computer science as a discipline, um, but what kinds of jobs do you see in the future for, for young women who have a technology bent or interest? There's just so many opportunities right now. Um, one of the biggest that we find the companies are needing and the students are really interested in is data analytics. Um, that's so important to understand your data and to be able to make decisions on it. Um, so that is a, a huge area. Um, artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, enormous opportunities cybersecurity in, in every company. Um, and it's really interesting because when you talk to uh, leaders in the banking industry, that's an industry that um, started out probably over a hundred years ago, right? And has evolved to the point where many banks, uh, Capital One being one in particular, that talks about themselves as uh, a technology company before they talk about themselves as a financial institution. And the jobs inside of uh, regulated industries like banks, uh, cybersecurity is enormous. Um, you know, it's a global uh, economy that we live in, and there's just all different types of disruptions, whether it be in banking or government, that you have to have that type of knowledge. Um, we work with SpaceX. So how exciting is it mm -hmm. to think about being on the team that is trying to get people to Mars? I mean, it's it's really endless. Uh, there's so much going on in space, in everything that's cutting edge is technology. So uh, we work with Lyft as an example, and not they have two sides of their business. They have the side that we probably all, all used to use on our apps for rideshare, but then uh, one of the biggest areas of growth uh, for Lyft is their self-driving cars. And it, you know, it's just it's so exciting. You start to think about well. What are the disruptive models that are really going to start to become out of that experience? And technology and educational settings, probably going to look a lot different five, from five years ago than it does now. Or biotech and um, telemedicine are areas now that all of a sudden where user adoption may have been low, all of a sudden it's, it's become standard. Of course I can get on the phone with my PCP and, uh, you know, figure out what I need. I had orthopedic surgery uh, on March 17th and I've had follow-up. I've never seen my surgeon again. I've had follow-up with him through my iPhone, like looking at my range of motion and how my scar is healing. And, and it's just all of those areas, I think, will explode now because of the situation. I wonder if I'm the only one that's like, man, I could have done this like before and it wasn't offered to me. <laughs> like this, <laughs> yeah. is, it, this is saving me a trip, gas, so much time. Exactly. And, uh, this is such an awesome opportunity to be able to talk about these issues. So I really applaud you for the podcast that, that you've created and that you're leading and to give us the opportunity to speak about what we're doing. I think it's so incredibly important and I, I know for myself, I don't feel like I've done enough in my career for young women. And uh, those of us who maybe are a little bit more experienced, this is a time to reach down and, and help women because it's the only way it's going to happen. 
hundred percent. I think that's a great note to, to move on to our lightning round. If you are ready, Sue and Vanessa. I'm ready. First question, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt to try any other job? Well, I'm about to go cycling. Um, I'm an avid athlete and somehow I would love to be able to continue to do that as an older person. How do you define success? Doing something that you love. What resources do you wish existed for women in tech or looking to get into tech? I think giving students more insight into what all of these tech companies do. Is there something they could do where they could get a day in the life of what it's like to work at XYZ company? Love that. Mm-hmm. What's the weirdest food you've ever eaten, Sue? Liver by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was it a mistake to eat the liver or was it cooked wrong? Uh, uh, no, wasn't it? I, organ meat is not something I have on my list. And uh, I didn't know what it was and it, it wasn't pleasant. <laughs> My mom, for some reason, I mean, she's a huge fan of it. And for, I mean, since I was little, has tried and tried. And I, like I've told her, liver's where I kind of draw the line. I'm like, no, I know at this point what I like and what I don't like. It's a texture thing. Like, no, absolutely. Like, 100%. I got your back on that one. It is supposedly high in iron, though. That's what my mom used to tell me. I was good. Anyway, I'll take an iron supplement. Sue, what celebrity would you cast to play you in a movie? Oh, God. <laughs> Meryl Streep. Oh, my God. Yes! I love her. I love She's that. my girl. Yeah. <laughs> love Meryl. There's nothing she can't do. No, not at all. <laughs> awesome. Uh, what's something about you that people would be surprised to know? Two things. I can turn my feet backwards, double jointed in my knees and my hips. And uh, I had to have surgery to remove bamboo from my calf uh, two years ago. So I don't do any yard work anymore. What myth about women in your profession or in STEM in general would you like to dispel? That women are uh, bitchy. Uh, They can be really strong. uh, But God, if they are, watch out because people aren't ready to hear it, particularly men. Oh, so true. Absolutely. I always say we're not bitchy. We're not loud. We're leaders. That's a leadership quality. That's exactly right. If it was a man doing it, would you say that? That's right. (laughs) How have you surprised yourself in your journey up to this point? I would say growing up in a very blue collar family um, where my parents didn't have an opportunity to go to college, but were incredible, hardworking people. And just thinking I would do the same, maybe get the chance to go to college and just have the opportunity to now through a lot of experiences, have a platform to be able to hopefully make other young women's lives more fruitful and be able to impact them in a way that encourages them using some of the experiences I've had as an athlete and a business person is just something I never thought I would do. Awesome. Last one, fill in the blank, blank like a girl. Play like a girl. I mean, it has to be an athletic uh, piece of that. And play could be much more than sports. Uh, play can be anything that you love, right? So, um, yeah, 
I'll go with that. Love it. Awesome. Thank you for all the things that you're doing. I'm the mom of, of a college daughter and two daughters in their 20s. And so really appreciate what you're doing to empower young women and to help them see possibilities in themselves that they might not see otherwise and giving them a community to help them pursue that and stick with it. How can people find out about you and rewriting the code if they want to get in touch with you? Sure. Um, rewritingthecode.org is our website address. My email is on there as a way to get in touch. Uh, people uh, who are particularly women, but also men, because we cannot isolate this to just, to just women, um, who are in engineering, who have stories to tell. And I'm sure if you're in engineering, you have stories to tell. Um, would be so welcome uh, and encouraged to join our community and inspire these young women. Um, that that would be awesome. I echo that. This is we again. We get really up. Obviously, we empower women, but that that does not end with women. That is the start. We need men that are feminists. So, mm-hmm. absolutely love that message. Yes. Absolutely, we have some great male allies, and a lot of times it comes from. Uh, all of a sudden you have a daughter and mm-hmm. do you, do you want this for your daughter? Do you want this for your sister? And you pull at those heartstrings and sometimes that's the motivator and if that's the motivator. We'll take it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am also a mom of a daughter. She's three and I have a lot of hope for this current generation, but obviously hers is the next one coming up and um, there needs to be a significant change. We need to be able to talk about remember when. That's great. Well, I, I'm going to spread the word about your incredible podcast uh, among our community and, and look forward to staying in touch. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WeGetRealAF. And visit our website at www.WeGetRealAF.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. And we want to give a special thanks to Florence Lumsden, our associate producer for the We Get Real AF podcast. You can find Flo on LinkedIn at Florence Lumsden, L-U-M-S-D-E-N, or at her website, danceandflowproductions.com. That's D-A-N-C-I-N-F-L-O Productions. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.